Today's scripture reading comes from Second Timothy chapter three, verses one to seventeen, and can be found on the pages one one nine six to one one nine seven in the Church Bibles. Verse three, but mark this: there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive. Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, with love, without love, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, have a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. Verse six: They are the kinds who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women, who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Also, learning from not, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, just as Janus and Jambres. Oppose Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith. Patience, love, endurance, prosecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The prosecution I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me, rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be prosecuted, while evil doers and imposters. Will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and what have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have learned, you have known the holy scripture, which are able to make you wise from for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God's breath and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. So, welcome to each one who is here with us today. Thank you for making the effort to be here personally. Also, we'd like to welcome those who are joining us on Zoom. And if you're traveling, or for some reason the Zoom works better, we really would invite you. Then, as soon as you return, or when it's possible, to come and join us in person.、Uh, particularly as I look towards the month of December, can you believe that Christmas is almost here? And I am not personally there yet in my body calendar, but it is. 
there, and during the Christmas season, there are some absolutely very special events happening at IPC, and I would encourage you, if all possible, check them out and participate. Then one special announcement for this afternoon, immediately following this service, we are also going to have, beginning at 1.30, a lunch and learn session. That is the second kind of discussion, question-answer, interaction session that we are having regarding the statement of faith that has been put together recently for the church. And uh, you'll remember I did seven sermons, a series on those ideas. And today we talk about or discuss more the last four, which dealt with sin, salvation, the church, and Jesus' second return. So if anyone would like to join to that, you're more than welcome. It'll be in the uh, room at the bottom, uh, below the office area in the Methodist Church. Now, today I want to continue with this sermon series from the book of 2 Timothy. And as I said before to you, this book of 2 Timothy is in some ways one of my most loved books in the New Testament, and yet it is quite different than any other writing in the New Testament. It is different than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels which contain the history of Jesus and Jesus' teaching. It is different even than some of Paul's writings, which are a significant number of the letters that we find in the latter part of the New Testament. For example, the book of Romans is very much a logical laying out of what it means to have begun in sin, then how faith comes, how God honors that, the death of Jesus Christ, and how one becomes a true believer in Christ, and then also how one lives for God in this present world. Where this, the book of 2 Timothy, is Paul's last writings, and remember I've said before, it's like his last will and testament. He, in this book, these four chapters, very concisely speaks to Timothy about the essentials of Timothy continuing in his Christian faith. And it's a a book that personally has spoken to me. I can still remember very distinctly the first time I remember reading it from the first verse to the last. I was standing, I remember waiting for some other missionary friends on the Asian side of the Bosphorus. And they were delayed in their coming, and so I remember reading this book and how it became alive at that moment. It spoke to the exact situation of life I found myself in at that moment. And since then, it's been a very special book to me. But in chapter 1, the first sermon dealt with Paul's desire for Timothy to know and to live and to experience the will of God for his life. And how he says, Timothy, you have that which you need. You have a sincere faith. And you have the gift of God in you. Now you need to fan it into flame. You need to stir up that gift of God in you and allow God to work through you. And then remember I said, now do not be ashamed. That idea of shame in the Bible. Don't back away from. Don't withdraw from. Don't hide from. 
And he talked about the testimony of Christ. The reality that Jesus has come and he has died and he's risen from the dead. Those are Bible truths. Those are God truths. And he said, oh, Timothy, if there's anything there that causes you to step back. Because then he goes on and he says, and I am not ashamed because I know who I have believed. He knew personally God. And he said, and I am convinced he trusted God that he is able to keep everything that I have committed to him until the very end or to eternity. And then in chapter 2, remember he wrote to Timothy, he said, Timothy, I want you to disciple mother, men and women, but I also want you to live as a disciple, as a committed follower of Jesus. I think if I could cry out to Christianity in 2022 and make one request, I think I would ask them to search and to look carefully and to maybe redefine again and anew in 2022 what it means to be a disciple, a follower, a radically committed believer in whom the truth of God has become true and it lives and it is seeable or observable by all who know us. And so he said to him, and remember how he said, I want you to do this in such a matter that the what or such a manner that the things I gave to you, one spiritual generation, then you give to someone else another spiritual generation who will be trained and empowered by God that they give to another. So you have Paul, Timothy, the next person in the following, four spiritual generations. He gave him three illustrations, you'll remember. To be a soldier, learn to say no, so you can say yes even more deeply to God. Then an athlete who runs by the rules, know the rules of God, and a farmer who works hard and harvests. And then at the end of that chapter, he went and said, and there are these stages, these moments in your spiritual growth where you'll become a good worker for God, where you know how to handle the word of truth. And in chapter 3, Timothy, or excuse me, Paul is going to take up with Timothy again this idea of truth and how important it is to those of us who serve and follow God. But he says not only are you a worker of God that knows how to handle the word of truth or knows the scriptures, knows how to use it, knows how to understand it, and knows how to give it on further to others, but he says then there is coming a point where you will be like a vessel in the house of God. And remember he said there are clay, there are wood, there are silver, there are gold, but as God cleanses us, then we move and we grow in our spiritual lives and God uses us even more. And then finally he said that you then also will be a servant of God, one who is able to share, speak, communicate truth with gentleness. And I like there's a modern translation that goes in that verse and says, we do this, Timothy, because we never know when God will move. And then that truth will become true to that person's heart, depth, and soul. And they will be released from the captivity of evil and come in to the truth of God. Now, chapter 3. You're very quiet. 
Is this okay? Are you thinking I'm glad he's done with the introduction because otherwise we'll never go home? Or no? No, um, I find chapter 3 a real amazing chapter. But it begins with this, but know this or understand this. You see, what he's saying to Timothy, it's almost like you'll hear me sometimes say in the middle of a sermon, if you don't get anything else, please take this home with you, right? And it's almost as if we come to the moment in the writing of Paul to Timothy where Paul is now using that same type of phraseology saying, Timothy, I want you to really understand the next things I'm going to say. If you are still working through chapter 1 and chapter 2, which in that time it was not into chapters, but if you're working through the first part of what I've written to you, now I want you to understand this And he says, in the last days there will become times of difficulty or very difficult times. Some translation says it will be very stressful. And he goes on to talk about what and why that will happen. But this idea, he says, in the last days. Many times as I read through 2 Timothy, I thought, oh yes, well Paul is warning him that just before Jesus returns then it's going to get exceedingly difficult for those who are believers. And as true as that is, as I was reading and researching on this again, and I found commentators who had uh, various ideas, and it actually made me go back to the original, and they are quite right. It seems as if throughout the rest of the New Testament, This concept of last days is not only the very short period of time before Jesus returns for the second time, but there is a previous time where the prophets, and then there is the last time. And the incident, the happening, which moves us from the past to the last days, is the coming of Jesus fulfilling the prophecies, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension back into heaven. And those events move us from what is past to what is termed here the last days. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, for example, as they were questioning, what is happening here? Do you remember the account in Acts chapter 2? He then quotes from the book of Joel, where Joel says, and on the last days I will pour out my spirit. And then Peter says, and that is what's happening now. Or in the book of Hebrews, as the writer to Hebrews begins that book, he says in chapter 1, verse 1, and in the former days God spoke to us through the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by Son. And in his thinking, he moves from the former to the last. And as we read through this chapter, we'll find where Paul instructs Timothy, these certain types of persons do not associate with them. He also brings it into the today. And so what he's saying is actually, anyone who follows me, it's going to be a difficult time. And as you overview the chapter, what you'll find is he's going to identify in the first half of the chapter the thing in people that causes this difficulty 
And the first thing he's going to talk about is their heart or their love that has been misdirected. Let me just read to you a few of those things that he writes. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. And then he goes on to things which come out of that attitude or that heart. These attitudes, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. And then he puts on several of the unwords, ungrateful, unholy, what they should be, they are not. And why is that? It is because of the condition of their heart. Remember what Jesus told us about the heart in Matthew chapter 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what he says, beginning there with verse 21. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. What he's saying here, very simply, is our heart follows our treasure. We think our heart determines our treasure. That is only true if God has the center place in our heart. Many of you would have read, for example, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And you know it begins as a triangle. It's illustrated as an equilateral triangle. And the bottom is our basic needs for food and, and things are met. And then we go up to a, a significant number of relationships, I believe is right. Then it goes up, or actually a place of work, I think. Then thirdly, relationships. And finally, we become the self-actuated person. I think actually if you took that and put it on its head and you have the self-actuated person who has become complete in Christ. And when Christ gets a hold of you, it impacts every relationship you ever have. When Christ gets a hold of you, it impacts the very way you do your work and what work you do. And when Christ gets a hold of you, it impacts the very way you live, dress, and how you believe the important things of life exist. And Paul is writing to Timothy and he's telling him very simply, Timothy, this you need to understand are things, but as Jesus explains it, he has created our heart. So our heart follows our treasure. Then if you skip down two verses, what he says in verse 24 is incredible. But you cannot serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Then listen to what Jesus says. You cannot serve God and money. Same thing Paul is saying. Lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of this, not lovers of good. Some of the uh, translations have say they even hate good. But then there's this comparison in the end. Lovers of pleasure and not lovers of God. Well, why do I point these things out? You see, the heart has limited capacity to love. But beyond that, the things that we love, what we really love, also provide for us, <clears throat> excuse me, a pure open window into the condition of our heart. Look what he says in the intermeaning verses as Jesus explains this. 
he uses an example of the eye. He says the eye is the lamp to the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? He has placed that right in between this and your heart will follow your treasure. And then at the end of this example, he says, and you cannot serve two. Your heart can only serve either God or something else. We can examine what and how we love. And it is like a novel, a book written about the condition of our heart. So he goes on to them and he says in there in 2 Timothy, he makes kind of a summary then of these people who are into that setting. He says in verse 5, he says, they will have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. In other words, they have the form, they have the ritual, they have whatever, but they don't have the power of God in their lives. This is an amazing thing. We can know what is right. We know and we do the things, but we have denied the very power of God to come and transform us. Like Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Behold, if any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new is come. We're transformed. And so he goes on with Timothy and he writes to him, he says that, and then he says, now some of those who are in that category, category, then he says, they creep into households, in other words, and capture and to the sisters, ladies in the audience, I don't apologize for this verse, but it could definitely mean anybody. Because what he's saying is they come in in our 2022, that would mean they have cafe and cooking miteinander und dann die quatschen. And they are going to gossip about this is what I think is right, this is what I think is whatever, this is what I, because you see what it says is they have sins that they're burdened with. In other words, what is God's answer to sin? Confess, release, and be forgiven. They are holding on to certain things. They're burdened with it, it says. And then he goes on to say, and they're always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of truth. And now Paul begins to bring this concept. You see, in our minds, it is incredible what tells us how our minds are, what the state of our minds are regarding our spiritual understanding is how we handle truth. The very truth of God. And he says, these are ones who are corrupt in their mind or have corrupted their mind and they oppose the truth. Just like Janus and Yambrist. Janus and Yambras, although their names are not recorded in the Old Testament, many writings alongside of the Old Testament describe these two men as people who were in Pharaoh's court in the day of Moses. They were two of the magicians. You remember the account of the magicians and Moses? As Moses came in, I believe it begins in chapter 7, flows into chapter 8 of Exodus. 
And there he says, he took and Pharaoh says, show me the power of this God who says, let my people go. And so he took his staff and he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And of course, then they called in the magicians. They took their staffs and they threw them on the ground and they also became serpents. You see, the the evil that they were connected to had certain authority. Of course, then Moses' serpent ate theirs. And then the second thing, he took water. God had given him this ability and he poured it out. And as it hit the ground, it became blood. And they called in these magicians, these two, and they took water and they poured it out and it became blood. And then the third one, they called up frogs. I remember one time preaching through the book of Exodus in a Bible study, I think it was in England. And when I got to this bit about the frogs, you see, Moses and frogs came from everywhere. And then, then the magicians called up even more frogs. Anyway, when I went to where I was staying in the night, someone had taken a, a uh, it wasn't a stuffed frog, but it was a frog, and put it right down to where my feet would slide in between the sheets. Um, frogs everywhere. Well, what happened is the evil people called up frogs. And then the fourth thing with gnats. And they called in the magicians, but they could not do it. And then listen. And then magicians, these two men, turned to Pharaoh and they said, this is the finger of God. And then listen to what Pharaoh said. And Pharaoh heard, but he would not listen. He saw truth, but he would not allow truth to become true to him. And he hardened his heart. And so, too, Paul warns Timothy of these who come. Now, and he says of them, they will not succeed and they are disqualified as far as regarding the faith. It is a very serious situation that they have worked themselves into. You see, because he's talking about the heart. And by our heart, we can tell the condition of our heart by what we love and how we love. We can tell the condition of our mind as far as godliness by the way we handle and accept and allow God's truth to become true in us. And before I go to the next verses, can I just ask you all this question? If you take a millisecond to inspect what you love and how you love, What does that tell you about your heart? If you take another millisecond to inspect and to look and to examine about what you've done with God's truth, has it become true in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, in your person, or is it still locked there? It's very important, Paul says. But then, in the last half of this chapter, what he does is he gives then Timothy two different specific examples and instructions. And you'll note in verse 10 and in 14, what he says to him, you, however, Timothy, you are different. You see, what he's saying to him again and again is this is the world in which we live. This is the heart condition of the world. This is the heart condition of you, Timothy. This is the mind condition of the world. This is your way of thinking, Timothy. You're different, 
And what Paul is saying to Timothy is we need to be different. Not just someone who goes around and is offensive to everyone, but we need to be different because our heart is different, because our mind is different, because they are the dwelling place of God. And he looks at him, and look what this, if you read verse 10, he says, you have followed, actually, if you go back to the original, this idea of world, or you know, I think it says in the New International, it actually, the word is made up of two Greek words. It means it's coming out of, but you have examined, like you were doing your PhD research on this, and you've examined it, you've followed it, and you have experienced what Paul is now saying. Our English translations miss a bit of the depth. But then he says, my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfast. I almost think, Paul, you're running out of mys. What he's actually saying is this, Timothy, you know my life. And then he goes down to this illustration of the three cities on his first missionary journey, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Let me just say this, when they first came, Paul and Barnabas, to Antioch and Poseidon, that's kind of in the middle south of what is presently Turkey, they had an incredible Incredible meeting. They came in, they sat, they lectured about Jesus, and the people said, This is so interesting, come back next week. And literally, it says there in Acts chapter 13, he says, When they came back, the whole city came to listen. And then it says, The Jews who were there became jealous, and they drove them out of the city. They went on to Iconium, and in Iconium, similar things happened, and then the Jews and those who were upset from from Antioch come to Iconium and they drive them out of Iconium and then they go to Lystra and in Lystra as they walk in there's this man who is lame from birth and Paul reaches out and he prays in the name of Jesus and the man stands and walks and they have some false temple there and they believe the gods have come and they try to worship Paul and Barnabas and they stop them and they start preaching the reality of Christ and the people from Antioch who were upset and from Lystra, or excuse me, Iconium who were upset come to Lystra and they begin to stone Paul and they drag him out and leave him outside the city as if he was dead. And then they said, and then the group of disciples from Lystra stood around him. He stands up and if you read the end of chapter 14, he goes in and he preaches in each one of those three cities again and he puts elders in place to lead each of the churches. Then if we jump over chapter 15, which is one of the more important books, chapters in the New Testament. But in chapter 16, and it says, and there was a man by the name of Timothy, a great disciple from the city of Lystra. Remember how he came and he preached. And then it says, and the disciples gathered around him when they thought he was dead, and he stands up and he goes and preaches. All of a sudden, Paul said to him, Timothy, you were there. You saw with your own eyes, you've experienced the reality of God in life. And oh, I want to tell you what Paul is saying is for each one of us who want to be godly in 2022, we need people like equivalent of a Paul who we look at their life and we know it's true, undeniably. Those people who have influenced me the most in my life, God has given me a handful They have shaped who I am. 
because they have helped me know it's true. And then he goes on and says, not only that, Timothy, but you can remember your childhood, the very station and place he was in life. His father was a Greek, but his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice were believing Jewish ladies. And they taught him the Bible as a youth. And he says here, and the Bible you've learned how to come to salvation. And then he goes on to this third thing. Not only is it those people whose lives you know are true, but also your very own life where God has brought you. It hasn't been comfortable. You have a Greek father. Maybe it wasn't all great, but God even then worked in your life. And then he says to him, and the scriptures. And he goes on and talks about, you have God's Bible and it is God breathed. Literally, the word there is not simply inspired. The word is, it is breathed out by God. It literally comes from God. And because it comes from God, it teaches you the doctrine, that which is true from God. And then it is also good for for, um, rebuking. In other words, the Bible will also tell us, no, that's not right. Because correction then comes because this is what God says is right. The absolute truth of of the scripture and of God being revealed. And then he says it's for training in righteousness that we would be equipped. He says that every servant of God would be adequate, not in ourselves, but in the fact of God in us and capable of living the will of God for our lives because God is in us. My time is gone. Chapter 17 of the book of John. Jesus prays. And he prays, Oh, Father, would you care for those to whom, whom you have given me? And then he prays like this. He says, I pray you do not take them out of the world, but that you keep them from evil. And then he goes on and says, For they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. So they're in the world, but you're not of the world. And then he praises, Oh, Father, I have left them your word. And then if you get down to verse 20, he says, And Father, I do not just pray for my disciples, but I pray for all who will believe in that which they preach. That's you, and you, and you, and me. Paul tells it to Timothy. Our Lord Jesus prays it for us. That we know we are complete in him. And adequate for his will to be done in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this morning. And for this opportunity to just be with you. And I pray for each one of us today that this truth will go deep into our hearts. And Lord, might we take a moment to examine how we love, what we love. And may you then minister to us as it so clearly reveals the state of our heart. And then Lord, might we also take a moment to reflect on what our minds and our thoughts have done with the truth of God. Because as we examine that, we also immediately know the condition of our minds. And so, Father, we ask that you do that for us 
Do you not leave us nor forsake us in what we find? We bring them simply to you. And may you do that work of God within us that we would know with Timothy that you have made us complete and you will enable us to live out your will for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.